Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. 2022, a big year for organizing professional employees. We'll run down the numbers. Voluntary recognition of unions on the rise, and it seems Microsoft is leading the way. Today on the show, we check in with the heat and frost insulators and the iron workers in Peoria, Illinois. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 25th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Mr. Pete Almini will be our first guest on the show today. He comes to us from the Insulators Union, where he serves on the Labor Management Trust, Mechanical Insulators, lmct.org is their uh, website. And uh, Pete is going to talk about pushing the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. Now, this is legislation that was introduced in the last Congress. And time ran out, so they have to reintroduce it into the new Congress. And here's the problem. Some companies and manufacturers are not supporting the bill. You know why? Because they have been told that it's a union-only bill. Not true, says Pete. Not true. Here's the deal. This legislation requires all federal construction projects to have a U.S. Department of Labor registered apprenticeship program. Okay. Now, a company can have a apprenticeship program. Just so happens when you say apprenticeship programs, they're usually union. Okay, get it? The federal government already requires that type of training for any federal project. It's important to know that. So we've got a communication problem right now, and we're going to talk about that. And again, this is legislation that makes sense. Mechanical insulation is the one thing that goes into a building and starts paying for itself as soon as the system is activated. Immediately, immediately saving energy and reducing greenhouse emissions. We've talked about this with Pete. We'll talk about it again. And this is insulation, mechanical insulation, that would go into federal buildings. There's a lot of federal buildings out there. And you know who's paying the energy costs? We are, as taxpayers. It makes sense. We're talking about saving money. We're also going to talk about uh, the apprenticeship programs that are available. We need skilled people to do this work. And let's be honest, union insulators have the skills. That's what a lot of this is all about. They, they don't want to give anything to unions. Jason Emmerich will be joining us later in the show. And he's a business manager of Iron Workers Local 112. They're based in Peoria, Illinois. Ironworkers112.org is their website. A little background on Jason. He graduated from high school back in 1990. Got two years of community college with uh, a welding tech degree. A lot of community colleges are doing that now because of the demand. Worked in a fab shop for about a year. Then Jason decided, you know what? I'm going to join the Iron Workers. That happened in uh, 1993. Worked in the field for a number of contractors, then became apprentice training coordinator in 2008. And uh, in 2020, he was elected business manager. 
We'll talk about the relations with uh, contractors. And there's this perception that uh, there's some animosity between the union and the contractor. And he says, you know what? We're, we're not enemies. We're trying to work together. And we have been working together. We have a good relationship. And it's helping the contractor. And it's helping the union and the members of that union, which would be 112. We'll talk about uh, recruiting, and this is a good one, work ethic. I'm sure by now you've heard a lot of uh, business owners saying, you know what, I can't find good employees anymore. They don't want to work all day. They show up late for work. And you know what, to some degree, that's true. There's no doubt about that. How's it affecting 112? Well, Jason will talk about that as her second guest on the show. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. New report from the Department for Professional Employees shows that the efforts of working people and the AFL-CIO's affiliate unions paid off big time for professional employees as more than 100 New workplaces organized within the affiliates of the Department of Professional Employees last year. The union says while greedy and unscrupulous corporations spent large sums to hire the union busting industry to scare working people, professional employees committed to fighting for better wages. Expanded benefits, safer working conditions, and greater job security. Now, the hard work of organizing in professional work spaces produced results as union elections petitions rose by 57%. That was in the first half of 2022's fiscal year. That's in the private sector outside the railway and airline industries. From architectural to veterinary professionals, Working people had a strong year in 2022, and this year, 2023, looks to continue the wave of worker activism in the United States and beyond. So good news. I mean, we've seen a ton of organizing in all sectors. And sadly, that organizing has not kept up with the population. There's just more people in the workforce, and that's why union density isn't where it should be right now. The uh, Center for American Progress reports that voluntary recognition of unions by employers is on the rise. That's certainly good news. Across industries and businesses like Microsoft and Major League Baseball to media organizations and mission-driven institutions like museums, employers are increasingly choosing to recognize unions rather than forcing elections or signing into neutrality agreements in the event of an election. Yeah, Microsoft, that was a big surprise last year. And uh, what they did, they acquired one of the video gaming companies. And uh, they said, you know what, if you want a union, that's okay. If you don't want a union, that's okay too. They went union. 60 million people in America would join a union today if if they didn't have so many roadblocks. That's amazing. That figure is amazing to me. The Animation Guild, which is part of the theatrical stage employees, IATSE Local 839, has secured voluntary recognition for a group of unionizing 
production workers at Nickelodeon Animation Studios. The company agreed to recognize the bargaining unit of 177 workers. That includes production coordinators, production managers, asset production coordinators, and others. This, by the way, will be the largest unit of production workers to join the Animation Guild so far. And they will now begin negotiations for their first union contract. In a statement, IATSE Local 839 said, By doing this, the studio has shown that they are willing and ready to recognize the hard work, time, and love we pour into our productions. We are so excited to work with them and our artist colleagues to come to an agreement that reiterates their support for what we do. Now, one of the primary goals for the new unit will be to increase inadequate pay, which makes it challenging for production workers to afford living in Los Angeles. Many animation workers must seek overtime, additional jobs, loans, or financial help from friends and family. That is a very, very creative occupation to be in animation and the pay sucks i mean bottom line the pay sucks and uh you really got to love what you're doing and put up with a whole lot and obviously the union is a way to boost those wages we'll we'll keep our eye on that one wall street journal is uh, reporting that unemployed workers are taking longer to find jobs in april of a year ago 526,000 unemployed workers have been out for about three and a half to six months. Now, that figure in December rose to 860,000. This is because companies have started dialing back on hiring, and that's a lot to do with the Fed. Now, while that's going on, the labor market is still pretty tight. Many workers are still able to extract considerable concessions from employers. Bloomberg News is reporting that workers who switched jobs at the end of last year received larger pay increases than those who did so in the beginning of the year. According to a survey by Zip Recruiter, approximately the same number of workers who switched jobs, about 60%, received pay increases in the fourth quarter of 2022 as compared to the fourth quarter, but the pay increases received were averaging much higher. According to uh, Bloomberg, the numbers demonstrate that despite mounting layoffs in certain sectors, especially in technology and banking, the full picture of the U.S. economy is more complicated. No doubt about that. And one more here before we break. More than uh, 2,300 workers at McGee Air Services which is a subsidiary of Alaska Airlines, ratified a two-year contract extension, providing one of the highest pay scales for airline operation vendors. Workers are all members of the machinists. They work in Arizona, California, Oregon, and Washington. The extension includes an immediate 5% wage increase, later wage increases, a ratification bonus, a 401k plan, employer-funded life insurance, enhanced grievance procedures, and more. John Coveney is the uh, District Lodge president. That would be Lodge 142. And he said, our members called for this agreement extension, and I'm happy that our team was able to deliver for the membership. Hats off to the uh, Machinist Lodge 142. 
All right, quick break. Pete Almini on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, where you can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to New Jersey right now. Welcome one of our monthly regulars, longtime supporter of America's Workforce, the Insulators Union, and Pete Almini heads the Labor Management Trust, and we've got some educating to do with our members of Congress. Mr. Almini, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year to you, brother. Hey, how you doing? Happy New Year. (laughs) I love this guy. All right, Pete, last couple of shows, you and I talked about the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act, and it was introduced. Has it been reintroduced yet? Are are we at that stage? Where, Where are we? No, we're not. It has not been reintroduced as of yet, but we are planning to do it. And uh, Congresswoman Linda Sanchez is working with us, and we're looking to get that reintroduced as soon as possible. And we're looking to be able to gather uh, even more support from both sides of the aisle. So when we do reintroduce this, we're going to have support from both the Republicans and the Democrats, which is really important. And it, it is a bipartisan issue, and we're looking forward to, to be able to work with everybody to make this, make this happen. Well, it is a bipartisan issue. It saves energy, saves money for taxpayers, because we're talking about mechanical insulation in federal buildings. And, you know, as taxpayers, we pay for that. So I understand there's some that think that this is a union issue. Explain what's going on here, Pete. Yep. There were, there's, an, there's an element 
to the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act and to be able to have it implemented in federal buildings is a is an old uh, standard that if the federal government is going to be spending money, our money, the taxpayers' money, they want to ensure that the best quality workforce is the one installing the insulation. In fact, it can be said for all of the trades, all the construction work, whether it be steel, pavement, electrical, insulation, anything that involves mm-hmm. in construction, is that the federal government wants to make sure that it's going to be installed with the best quality workforce. And the best way the federal government can ensure that is to be able to utilize the U.S. Department of Labor registered apprenticeship programs. Since 1937, the federal government has established the apprenticeship standards uh, in this country that is designed to be able to ensure that the people that are involved in, in in my world, construction, but you could have apprenticeships in other non-construction industries as far as culinary, hotel, retail management, but in my world, it's construction. So the federal government is going to make sure that the money that is the taxpayers' money is going to be spent, it's going to be spent properly and be able to utilize the best trained workforce that's basically in the world. And that's the United States Apprenticeship Program. It's unfortunate um, because it is no secret that the unions are heavily involved in apprenticeship and training because we all know that is the best way to be, for a skill to be developed and perfected is the use of an apprenticeship program. And for those who don't know how apprenticeship program works, there are two major components to it. One of it is in the field learning, training, being able to work alongside seasoned uh, journey persons that physically are going to lead by example, and the and the apprentice is going to learn and experience by working with those individuals in the field. That alone is not a new concept. In fact, even one of the highest regarded uh, careers that we have in our society are doctors, and doctors use the same type of training. It's called an internship or residency. Uh, you just don't take a, a, a young, brilliant person that goes uh, to college and med school and then all of a sudden turn around if they're performing surgery and, and diagnosing and, and uh, releasing prescriptions. They have to work with a seasoned physician to be right. able to learn how to apply the knowledge that they have and to be able to have that mannerisms to coordinate and, uh, with a patient. So this type of learning is something that it's one of the oldest in, in our world and our society. But apprenticeship is is partly being able to be with those seasoned uh, people who have been out in the field for a while. The other part of apprenticeship is the fact that there is going to be formal classroom training. Uh, a lot of theory uh, is explained. Something that you don't have time and the ability to do in the field, and it's done in the classroom. 
and it's done with highly trained professionals, trainers. Even the trainers have to be trained. They have to make sure that they have the latest knowledge and content of what they are teaching. They also have to be trained to be able to um, disseminate the information properly in the classroom. Just because someone is knowledgeable about a subject, you just can't put them in front of people and expect that knowledge to get transferred from the facilitator to the students. They have to be trained in teaching techniques to be able to, to do that. So, and this is a large investment that uh, the unions make to be able to always bring people into an apprenticeship program, train them to be able to learn their skill and the occupation. The truth of the matter is, is that many people think in order to have an apprenticeship program, it's exclusively a union only activity. And that is simply not true. And some, and some people use that for an excuse to set their agenda, uh, to have an argument against the unions. Right. And that's, and that's, that's, that's a shame. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And it, it does get me aggravated when I hear that because they have a different agenda where people say that. Um, even a non-union company, a non-union entity or, or industry that's not associated with the union, you can have an apprenticeship program. It's not exclusively a union um, condition. What anyone who wants to generate an apprenticeship program, well, you have to demonstrate to the federal government that you have a quality training program. You have to provide a, a plan. You have to divide, uh, provide a curriculum. You have to explain what you were teaching, how you were teaching. You have to provide guidance in the experience out in the, in the field. How you going to monitor that? How you going to provide diverse amount of exposure to your craft? You know, you're not going to just say someone's working out in the field doing one operation. Well, if you want to provide training for a craft, it's going to require more than one just one type of an application. You have to devise a diversity of applications, a diversity of work. And that has to be monitored. It has to be valued. It has to be measured. You have to perform, be able to document the X amount of time that's dedicated to that. You have to develop instructional learning. You have to have a, a quality facility that's going to induce learning. It just can't be in the backside of the pickup truck. So you need a building. You need a classroom. You need to develop instructors that have uh, training to be able to deliver the material, professional instructors. These are the things that are needed to have a quality apprenticeship program. And non-union can develop that as much as, much as the unions can do. The, the unions make a commitment to invest into their workforce. And it requires a tremendous amount of money. It does. And this is something that that we, the unions, have been doing for well over 100 years. Um, as a former apprentice coordinator, uh, I've gone through 25 annual compliance review. 
That's where the federal government is going to inspect the training that we're doing. I have to be able to prove to the federal government that my training is one that is of quality, one that is progressively updating with the latest technologies. They will literally, they will come into my training facility. I have to show them the, I have to show them the books. I have to show them the, uh, the apprentices, what they are learning. I go over the curriculum, be able to prove that their experience out in the field is being managed. It's being evaluated. Uh, I'm able to offer diversity in the amount of training. I also have to show my recruitment and be able to show the, the fair and equitable entrance into the union for diversity uh, amongst our society, whether it be a race, gender, religion. I have to be able to demonstrate that I am promptly outreaching out to the communities to make sure that everyone has a fair and equitable opportunity to enter the union. Uh, that gets questioned many times. Um, uh, when you have 3,000 people wanting to enter a union that only has a couple hundred openings, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, disappointed people that don't get in. Uh, many, many members have to apply several times just because of the competitiveness of being able to get into the union. But, but we have to go through a compliance review to make sure that everything is done fair and equitable. And all of this is going to cost money. And, and another fallacy that it, it's commonly said that gets me kind of aggravated, it's uh, some people may say, well, the big union, all these unions, they have the money to be able to do all this. So where does the money come from? The money comes from each and every member that contributes money into their own apprenticeship program. Every member contributes portion of their salary after taxes, that goes back to their union's apprenticeship program. That speaks volumes on the importance of how union labor feels toward their, uh, their young workforce or the new workforce coming up behind them. And, and what the unions have done was, to, was develop a source of funding to be able to afford our apprenticeship programs. But that does not mean, though, that the private sector and the private sector companies can't develop their own apprenticeship programs of being able to do the same thing. But the problem is it comes down to money. And many entities don't want to put the money into an apprenticeship program, but they criticize the ones that do. There, I'm sure there are. I know there are non-union employers that have an apprenticeship program. They feel the value and training of their workforce as much as the unions do. And they put money into training their people. These are the same, I'm going to say, non-union entities that also probably take care of their workers and provide them with proper health care and possibly even uh, benefits. These are the companies that care about their workers and care about their industry and invest in people to be able to keep their company moving on through generations. But there are many that do not. Many do not want to put that money. People don't, if they don't want to put their money into the training for their employees, they're probably not putting money into their healthcare packages and for the well-being of their, of their families as well. So this is, this is not an issue 
the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act, one of the requirements is that it will be installed by people that completed an apprenticeship program. And the reason that is done is to ensure to the taxpayers that the proper workforce is being utilized to be able to properly use the best trained workforce and get the quality work that the taxpayers are paying for. It is not a union, non-union thing. Just by coincidence, I, was, I had lunch yesterday with the director of apprenticeship in the state of Maryland. And we were, I was talking about this issue with him, uh, Mr. Brian Cady. And it was interesting because I said, how many, how many non-union apprenticeship programs are there in the state of Maryland? Because I really didn't know. But I was shocked when he told me. He says, for, for mechanical insulation, Pete, there are 11, 11 sponsors that have a program for mechanical insulation in the state of Maryland. Two of them is local 24 and local two, the insulators locals. He says that nine other ones are basically private sector, non-union entities that have, that sponsor a mechanical insulation program in the state of Maryland. And I like to be able to tell that to, and I, I, I'm currently looking into other states. I'm, I'm looking to see what the, what the nationwide average is. Because I want to be able to tell anybody that says, well, these apprenticeship programs are union only because the facts are, and I repeat, the facts are that it is not. You can have a private sector industry to develop an apprenticeship program. It's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of money, but it can be done. So this issue of apprenticeship programs is only for the unions. That is simply not true. Pete, I'll say one thing. You came to the table prepared today. You said it all, and you said it very, very well. Pete Almini, Labor Management Trust for the Heat and Frost Insulators, will continue the conversation right after this. Later in the show, Jason Emmerich will be joining us from Illinois on behalf of Ironworkers Local 112. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE 
CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to New Jersey and rejoin Pete Almini on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Trust. We're talking about getting the uh, Federal Mechanical Insulation Act introduced in Congress. It was introduced in the last Congress, needs to be reintroduced. But there's a few people, some uh, some companies, some manufacturing, saying we're not going to support the bill because this is a union bill. Well, if you listen to Pete in that first segment, it's clear this is not a union bill. And in the state of Maryland, just to uh, refresh you real quick, there's uh, 11 11 apprenticeship programs for insulators. Two of them are union, nine are not. And uh, what I'd like to do, Pete, is get the curriculum of, uh, of the nine non-union ones so we can make it a comparison here on America's workforce, the difference of the training for an insulator, non-union versus union. Okay, Let, let's do that down the road. But in the meantime, what are we doing to educate our politicians on this issue. I, I, you were very, very prolific in the first segment about, hey, come on, there's other programs out there, apprenticeship programs. It, there's, it sounds to me you got to get a PR campaign going on here to make sure that they know what they're talking about. Go ahead. Well, you're exactly right, and it's, it's very intuitive on your part to be able to, to bring up and make that question, and that's partly what I'm doing. But we do have to educate the people that are making decisions and not so much criticize because I always find it difficult to criticize someone that they don't have the proper knowledge. And it's my responsibility to be able to give them their, their proper knowledge. I, I live and thrive in the world of, uh, of construction and apprenticeship and union labor. Not everyone is, is able to, to understand the depth of all what that provides. They also feel it's, it's my responsibility to be able to respectfully educate and to raise the, the awareness and the knowledge, the people that are going to be making decisions that affect our industry. It's easy for people to have an opinion. It's very easy for people to say, well, you know what? These apprenticeship programs, they're exclusively only for the unions. Well, they've been indoctrinated with that. They've been, they've been told that by others, and that's the world that they know. And I don't criticize them for that, but I will like to be able to talk to them. I will like to be able to educate them and to increase uh, their awareness and their horizon by saying that's not necessarily true. There, there probably is a reason why that mentality is there, because by far the level of quality uh, of an apprenticeship program does come from the union sector because the, the rank and file members put so much effort and money into the development of quality programs. By far, 
I'm going to have a biased opinion by saying that they're going to have the best quality trained programs. But let's be realistic, though. You can you can still have a quality program without without the union. It so comes down to a commitment of investing money. Just just like it is when you have an employee, you got to give that employee a healthcare package. You got to give a uh, give an employee a reputable healthcare package for the worker and their family, or you're not. And the same thing goes with training. And there are, as I said, I'm sure there are non-union entities that have a quality program. I'm going to be honest with you: Are there non-union entities? that have a lackluster apprenticeship program and they just have a apprenticeship program on paper to be able to have uh, acknowledgement that they have one so they can get onto federal projects. I'm sure that it's going to exist as well. And that responsibility falls within the Department of Labor, Department, the Office of Apprenticeship and Training, when they certify and register apprenticeship programs, does it meet the criteria that they're getting the uh, accreditation for just as a, just as any apprenticeship program has to go through an annual compliance review. So that responsibility of the quality of the program relies on the Department of Labor. But we have to educate either the industry or legislators uh, and make them fully understand that this is not just a, a union issue. This is a an opportunity to be able to increase commerce and to be able to have energy efficiency with our with our natural resources of, of energy, whether it be uh, natural or man-made, we have to be able to to be able to do that, and we have to educate everyone on the the uh, the value of properly training the workforce. Pete, I'm thinking that it might be a good idea you know there's there's believability here you're you're coming from a longtime union guy to convince these lawmakers and these lawmakers are saying of course you're going to push the union program because that's who you are that's who you represent i'm wondering if we have to bring in like a a, a university maybe somebody that can say what you said but they're not union you follow me maybe that will convince these lawmakers what do you think Yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You talk about the you know a college or a un, university. Uh, Ten years ago, I took our apprenticeship program and received accreditation from the American Council of Education that valued our apprenticeship program to be worth forty five college credit, and that shocked the world. And what I was what I had to be able to do was to basically do the same thing that we do with the Department of Labor. I had, I had to demonstrate to the American Council of Education that our apprenticeship training is college-worthy type of a learning, and they were doubtful. And they had, had many, many doubters in, at, the, at the table with me, and I it spent four days with them. I had to prove that on-the-job training, OJT, is a structured learning process. And I, I did compare it to a doctor. Um, but I, when, I, when I showed them, we had to count for every single hour an apprentice has to operate 
the operations in the field. I had to be able to show how that was evaluated, how that was logged in. I had to show the, the diversity of the training. And then I also had to be able to show the classroom training, much like that of a college. And, and what, it was, what I was able to do was to provide the education and the awareness to academia that you know, there is post-secondary training in this country, and it's not always just college. That's another mindset that I'm very passionate about changing. There are ways to having post-secondary training in this country outside of college. And it's, one of them is apprenticeship, apprenticeship training. And whether I'm, I'm providing apprenticeship training model to the U.S. government for accreditation to be registered or whether I'm doing it to a college, we have to be able to prove that this is quality training, quality education, because it is. It, it is all about education and raising the awareness. And we can become a very smarter country if we have more people with open minds. Well, Pete, I'm glad you uh, you addressed this issue today, and uh, you know how these podcasts work. We often ask our listeners and people like yourself, the, the participants, to share the show. So hopefully this link can be sent to a number of members of Congress that are skeptical about what we're talking about here, and uh, maybe they'll see the light. I don't know, but uh, hey, you know what? We'll do what we have to do to get this done because it makes sense. It saves energy. When you're saving energy in federal buildings, you're saving money for taxpayers. Simple as that. Pete Almini, on behalf of the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers, national website is insulators.org, and he handles the uh, Labor Management Trust. Great show today. You take care. Stay safe. We'll do it again next month. Okay, brother? All right. Take care, Flash, and thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Jason Emmerich is the business manager for Iron Workers Local 112 out of Peoria, Illinois. And he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to Peoria, Illinois right now. Joining us on our live line is Jason Emmerich. Jason is the business manager of Ironworkers Local 112 website, ironworkers112.org. A little background on Jason. He graduated from high school back in 1990, went to a community college, got a welding tech degree, worked in a fabrication shop, and then he decided, you know what, maybe I need to join the Iron Workers Apprenticeship Program, and that changed his life, and he's here to talk about that part. Jason Emmerich, how are we doing in Peoria, Illinois today? How's the weather over there? you getting some of that snow or what? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, I'm doing great this morning. Uh, it was a little slower ride in because uh, we do have about uh, three inches of snow, and it's still coming down pretty heavy. So. Yeah, yeah. We're okay. getting some, some crazy weather. There's crazy weather everywhere in the country today. But you know what? I, I want to talk to you about that time when you got out of community college and uh, you were working in a non-union shop, I'm sure, and then you uh, eventually found your way to the iron workers. Can, can you uh, tell our listeners about that transition, the difference? We just got off the phone with the insulators, and we we're talking union versus non-union, the training, the lack of training that goes into uh, a non-union shop and for the workers and all that. Can you speak to that for us real quick? Sure, sure. Yeah, so like I said, uh, out of community college, I uh, – you know, just looking to jump into the workforce. I had an opportunity to go to a metal fabrication shop. And, uh, you know, my past, I didn't have any family or to or friends to r- r- steer me or refer me to a union trade of any type. So I really, I really wasn't educated on it. But uh, looking back now, uh, after working in that environment, uh, the big difference I see is, you know, you work working at a non-union employer, you hear that term family all the time, but the truth is without some sort of contract bargaining agreement, you're really kind of at the mercy of whatever the management decides. Uh, so uh, now fast forward, uh, you know, I understand you know, the benefits of having a, a written agreement where both sides know exactly what's expected. Uh, it's just it, it, it's just way better for the working guy uh, in that type of environment. Yeah, there, there's a comfort zone there, and, and you want that, especially as the years progress. By the way, we should mention, too, that uh, 112 has about 350 members. How, how's the work over there in, uh, in Illinois right but, now, Jason? But, the work has been really good for the last couple of years. Uh, we've been able to basically keep everybody employed uh, year-round. 
uh, which, as you might know, in construction, that's not always uh, that's not always an option. But uh, but we've been fortunate. Uh, a lot of a lot of infrastructure work, a lot of private uh, work. So uh, yeah, we've been we've been good. How are we doing with your uh, apprenticeship program there? So the apprenticeship program's uh, rocking on good. We, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we're kind of a a smaller number in in compared to some other trades. But uh, I like some people refer us to as the Marines of the building trades. You know, we the iron workers will, will do uh, a lot of stuff that some of the other trades aren't willing to do but our apprentice goes you know our, our numbers are good we've got uh you know we've we've got some good applicants coming yearly um we don't see the numbers of applicants that we did in the past but um the applicants that we do get are usually pretty good candidates they they kind of already know what to expect that's good. That's good. I'm laughing here because we do the show out of Iron Workers Local 17 in uh, Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio. And you're right, to your point, yeah, they they'll do work that others won't. <laughs> it's they're <laughs> yeah. but they're a yeah. tough. I mean, you're a tough breed. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you take a look at some of those high rises. I'll tell you, you need a lot of yeah. training, and safety is number one. I mean, you got to burn that issue in to uh, to correct. your workers. Yeah. So important. So important. How we doing? Uh, one of the things I know you wanted to talk about, and there's a lot of uh, employers out there saying, ah, you know what? We can't find anybody that really wants to work all day, and they don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. It, it's pretty much we're talking about the work ethic here. Um, sure, what's yeah. uh, what's your take on it right now, Jason? You know, um, I, I hear the same thing, um, but our young guys – they learn real quick what's expected as far as going to work every day, being ready to work. Um, so we don't see too much of an issue because if we have a person that's maybe, you know, on the fence on what they want to do, they, they don't stick around. Uh, they don't last long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like I was saying earlier, the applicants that we get, uh, they kind of know from day one what's expected. And uh, we've actually been, I guess, pretty fortunate. Um, our guys uh, our guys are still out there uh, hitting the grind, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and uh, working with these employers. And, and the employers are, are getting giving good reviews on these guys. That's good to hear. You know, one thing that uh, needs to be said, too, there's this perception. And, and, and it's true in some regards, too. You got the worker, the boss, and there's a friction between the worker and the boss or animosity. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that mean old guy, he's always a slave driver, that kind of thing. And sure. I'm sure that probably holds true in some industries. But from what I've been gathering, you've got a pretty good relationship with your uh, with your contractors over there. They're they're not the enemy anymore, are they? Well, they're not, and, and that's not to say we don't argue. Uh, yeah, but but I know in other parts of the country, and especially here in Central Illinois, we've had a long uh, standing relation. We have an organization called Better Built, um, and that's actually a, a joint. 
venture between the contractors and the labor unions. And we'll spend, oh, around $100,000 a year on marketing union labor, uh, getting into social media to promote union labor. Uh, so it benefits not only the employer, but also all the members as well. Uh, so we've, we've pooled our money together, and, and, and it's, it's actually beneficial. So, so you know, we, we see these guys on a regular basis. We sit across the table from them. Uh, you know, it's not just every three years at contract time, and, you know, everybody's got a mean look on their face. Uh, yeah. we, we, actually, we actually talk throughout the year, uh, you know, usually meet monthly or quarterly, and, and, and we talk about our issues. Well, Jason, that's really good to hear. But let's be honest, you live in a pretty uh, worker-friendly state, a union-friendly state. I was following the uh, enshrinement, what is it, of collective bargaining in your state constitution. That had to be a big uh, big win for you, huh? You know, it really was. Uh, uh, without a doubt, uh, Illinois is, is uh, still a very union-strong state, and that does help, uh, you know, in – in our regard to as far as work assignments and project labor agreements. Uh, but yeah, that got passed uh, here about a year or so ago. And uh, it's, uh, it's just, you know, one, one more of those things that, that helps benefit the working man. Got to love it. All right. One more question before you go. Um, you're at uh, about 350 members where do you see that number there's a lot of organizing going on as you well know i'm just wondering where do you see growing that uh growing that number especially maybe this year maybe by 2024 2025 yeah yeah so our our international you know they're very aggressive about organizing uh there's always non-union folks out there that uh we would love to chat with and bring into our fold um i see the numbers uh steadily increasing uh, you know, we're, we've kind of already gone through our little boom here. There's pockets of the country that are just booming like crazy, and, and they're ready to take on, you know, hundreds of new members. But us, uh, you know, we've seen steady growth, and uh, honestly, I think that's better. Uh, I think the steady growth will continue. Uh, you know, I, the, when I speak with contractors, they tell me I'm, there's plenty of work out there to bid on. So that's, that's where it all starts for us. Well, Jason, you keep doing what you're doing. Jason Amarek, business manager, Ironworkers Local 112, ironworkers112.org, based in Peoria, Illinois. You stay safe. Stay out of the snow. We'll talk to you down the, down the road. Okay, brother? Okay. Good chatting with you. You have a good one. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, and the Texas Building Trades Council. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.